Well, I knew you're going to be this tired because I used to be that tired. Um, so it's going to be short this morning. You will love that. Stay awake for, I promise you, no more than 128 minutes. Okay? You can do it. All right. Let's review a little bit. We've talked about walking godly in an ungodly world. Got to be, got to be number one. Got to be saved, and you got to be filled with the Spirit to do that. Um, last night we talked about the way to be filled with the Spirit is you got to get in God's Word. You, it's got to richly dwell within you. That's, I mean, that's stuff y'all heard your whole life, okay? And ask the old people here. I being one of them, who uh, got saved at six years old, and um, I, I'm. Just tell you from personal experience, and I know all of them in here would, that um, when you look back on your life and you realize those times in your life uh, that helped you grow the most spiritually and be where you need to be and be able to handle tough situations and bad things and whatever that would be, um, when you're spending time in God's Word, that's the time when you respond the right way and you act the right way. That's the time that you're pleasing God the most. Talking about two other things this morning, again, briefly, to help you walk in the Spirit. Obviously, you've got to be in God's Word. Second one is prayer. Guys, you've got to be talking to God. So, I, you know, I've asked people before, give me a definition of prayer in a room with this many people or more. And, and people couldn't answer that. I don't know if they're scared to, if they're just that tired, they think they're going to get the wrong answer. But it's real simple. Prayer is just talking to God. It's talking and listening. That's prayer. It's, prayer is a two-way thing. If you're... If you're all, if, if you think prayer is just talking to God and it doesn't include listening, that's not prayer. Okay? That's just talking. <laughs> you know, you need to um, be willing to and wanting to listen to what God says back to you. How does God speak to us today? There's more than one way. How does God speak to us today? How does God speak to you today? Huh? Through His Word. You read the Word, you hear what God says. Give me another way He speaks to us today. Okay, people like me, camps and ministries. Give me another one. If you got a camp speaker, come on, there's a basic one. You go there usually on Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday night or Wednesday night. Church, you got pastors, right? Hopefully, they're men who are studying God's Word on a regular basis. They're getting into it. They're, they got their Greek and Hebrew dictionaries and whatever else they need, their commentary, and they're studying it so they can present it to you. Okay? Um, any other ways? Okay, a peace in your heart. The Holy Spirit can just lead you and talk to you. Um, and do, do, any, do y'all, any of you in here, get anything out of the music that you're listening to? Can you hear God speak through godly music? Yeah. Who created music? God. Um, so he can speak to you that way. What else? Camp Tapa Wingo is a great place for this. Huh? Quiet time, yeah, but I'm just talking, yes. That's, in, that's God's word, though. I would include that in God's word. Hopefully in your quiet time, you're reading and praying, whatever. I'm talking about nature. You can look at nature and say, well, there's a God. In fact, Scripture says that no one, at, at the minimum, okay, this is a paraphrase and commentary rolled into one. At the minimum, minimum, no person ever born could ever say, I didn't believe there was a God of some kind because God says they can just look at nature and see that. They can look at nature and say, wow, this didn't just happen. Now, do people say, hey, it just happened? Yeah, it's taught in the public school systems all across the United States. Oh, it just happened. 
But the Bible says that you can't look at nature and say that. That's just someone creating a lie and spreading a lie, and it's a person wanting to believe a lie because they don't want to be responsible to a holy God. That's why people don't want to believe in God. Because if you believe in God, then what do you believe? You believe that you're going to have to answer to him one day. People don't want to do that. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about prayer. Um, let's look at, we're going, to, we're going to go to the example of prayer. Anybody ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? That's a bad term for it. It actually should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer is later on in his ministry when the example, Jesus gave the example of how to pray when he prayed to his Father, but we won't, you know, um, I won't go too much into that. But I, I, I always call it the, the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray. Y'all, Jesus had this unbelievable prayer life. He was always praying. The disciples saw that and they said, hey, teach us to pray like that. And so Jesus said, all right, pray in this manner. So go to Matthew chapter 6. You got your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. And I'm sure most of you could quote and say what is called the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I want, I want to read a couple of verses. The, the, the Lord's Prayer is Matthew 6, 9 through 15. But I want to read verses 7 and 8 first. First of all, let me ask you this question. You may raise your hand this time. Have any of you ever said the Lord's Prayer? Okay. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Okay. Have any of you said it a lot of times? I used to do it at school when I was a kid. Okay, did it at school, right? Yeah, not anymore. Um, yeah, that's true. Don't do it anymore. A lot of places do that. Let's read verses 7 and 8 in Matthew chapter 6. And when you are praying... Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. You know, I believe that, that God has a great sense of humor. And as you read Scripture, you can see that a lot of times. You see His wisdom. I think God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit knew over 2,000 years ago when the disciples were talking to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray. I think Jesus knew when he said, okay, don't say a prayer just repeating it over and over and over again. <laughs> the Gentiles do that. Gentiles was in that sense here, it didn't just mean a non-Jew, it meant a lost person. The word Gentile there meant lost people. And Jesus was saying, lost people just repeat things over and over and over again because they think they're going to be heard that their gods are going to hear them for their many words. Now, I am not saying, I'm not saying don't say the Lord's Prayer. Okay? But I do think it's funny that we just recite the Lord's Prayer. All the time. A lot of times. I say all the time. It's, it's done many, many times. We just recite the Lord's Prayer because it's easy and it's simple and we think we're getting people involved in it. And Jesus said right before he gave this example, he said, don't just recite things over and over again. Don't just repeat things over and over again. That's exactly what we do with it. And so what's the balance there? Jesus was not saying, he didn't say in fact, look at verse 9. Jesus said, pray then in this way. He did not say, pray these words. He did not say, repeat after me. He said, pray in this way. He was giving them an example of when you pray, things to pray about. Does that make sense? Again, there's nothing wrong with with reciting the Lord's Prayer or praying the Lord's Prayer if you're praying it, if your heart is right. It's all about a heart issue. It's all about the heart issue. 
It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. Jesus said, don't just repeat stuff over and over again. Mean it. Okay? So here's an example. We're just going to go through it briefly. Here's the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus was saying. So pray this way. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Today, I want you to give me some feedback because i got to keep you awake. Hallowed be your name. Just in... Okay, honor. You're honoring God for who he is. Your name is to be hallowed. Your name is to be honored. Your name is to be glorified. You're God. So you start out that way. It's a great way to start out your prayers. By recognizing God for who he is. And also, that is a way of humbling yourself. Okay? When you say, you're God, I'm not. You're God, you're holy. I'm coming to you because you're the only person I can come to. All right? Does that make sense? All right, so it's, it's a humbleness. All right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you think that means? Well, let me ask you this. What is God's kingdom? There's a couple of them. Give me, what do you think God's kingdom is? The church. Church? There you go. Excellent. The church is God's kingdom. You just, you jumped right to the one we needed to get to and not the other one. So that's perfect. Because a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's where God rules, so that heaven is considered God's kingdom. It's, it's called that in some parts of Scripture. The millennial reign, when Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom, that's God's kingdom. But right now, God's kingdom is saved people that are on the earth. It's Jesus' kingdom, it's, it's to save people on earth. And his kingdom is in our heart right now. There's not a physical kingdom, is there? Here on earth. Not right now. It's in the hearts of believers. And so the church, we said the church is all believers. That's God's kingdom. And Jesus is saying, pray for the salvation of other people. That's what he's saying there. Pray for the salvation of others. He's also saying, pray that my earthly kingdom will come. It's, it's, it's a dual, dual thing. Okay? Did Jesus know he was coming back to set up a kingdom? Everybody nod your head. Yes. Did the disciples understand that? No. The disciples thought Jesus was going to do it now when he was there with them. They thought... Hey, you're God's son. You're the Messiah we've heard about and our parents have been teaching us about and the scribes and everybody's been teaching. And we, they thought Jesus was coming to set up his earthly kingdom then. And he's kind of telling them, no, pray, pray that that'll come. That's, that's not for right now. They still didn't understand that. I mean, up until the resurrection, they weren't sure. Remember, they fled after Jesus was crucified. They didn't understand what was going on. They thought he was, and they was like, he's supposed to be our king and he's gone. So that's what he's talking about. Pray about those things. Pray about salvation of people right now and pray that he will come soon. Yeah, let me tell you something. I pray every day, Jesus, come today. I'm ready to go. There's nothing on this earth that I could ever do or experience that's going to be anywhere close to being with God. Nothing. I pray every day. Jesus, let it be today. If it's not today, then help me to live the life you want me to live today to glorify you, but I'm praying you come today. All right? Y'all, you're young. Most of you are young, not these people over here. But um, there may be a lot of things you want to do in life. I want to get this job or buy this or buy that or do this or do that or get married or have kids or whatever. And those are good things to think about and want to, but nothing can compare to being with God. Okay? And so Jesus is talking about pray that his kingdom will come. Um, and then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will... Always done. Good, I got some no's. No. And, and some people go, wait a minute, God's will is always done. Well, 
There's God's perfect will and there's God's permissive will. Okay? God's perfect will is always done because it's his will and it's perfect. But do people die and go to hell? Scripture says it's God's desire, it's God's will that no one perish. And he's talking about die and go to hell. So it's his will that no one does that, but it happens. So that's what we would call, what theologians call his permissive will, the things he lets happen. And his permissive will works within the realm of his perfect will, which God controls everything. Does God make you sin? Shake your head no. God doesn't do that. Does God tempt you? Shake your head no. God doesn't tempt you. Does God allow you to be tempted? Oh, yeah. All right. Does that make sense? Okay. So you want to pray. What you're saying is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray that, I'm saying, God, I want to live my life the way you want me to live it. That's where we need to start with us. That's walking in the Spirit. Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, you need to live your life on a daily basis for my will to be done. What is God's will? Why did God create us? Everybody said, why did God create us? Glorify him. That's his perfect will, right? That's the main purpose he created us. Jesus is saying to his disciples, his closest friends, and guys he was mentoring, pray that on a daily basis, you'll glorify God. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's perfect will is done in heaven. And we're praying that we will live the way God wants us to here on earth. All right. Um, give us a day of daily bread. Pray for your needs. What kind of needs can you pray for? Make it simple. All of them. All of your needs. Bread was a basic need. Okay? Bread's a basic need. And Jesus was giving an example. Y'all, you pray for everything. Pray for everything you need. Give us a day of daily bread. Forgive us our debts. What does that mean? Yeah, for sin. Forgive us for sin. But look at the rest of that verse. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Any of y'all ever held a grudge against somebody and didn't forgive them for something? Everybody raise your hand. You're liars if you're not. We've all held grudges at some time. I had a brother or one of my brothers. I still have a habit. He's my brother. Um, many, many years ago, man, decades ago, and for some reason, it probably had nothing to do with me being a jerk, jerky youngest brother, but he, he just, he hit me. I mean, he hit me hard. That, Jim never did that kind of stuff. But he got mad at me for some reason, he just slugged me. And it shocked me more than anything because Jim was the, the brother that never got in trouble and never did anything wrong. And it shocked me at first. And I was, man, I was mad. And I stomped out of the room. And he came and found me later and he said, Jeff, I need you to forgive me for that. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I looked at him and I said, no. I didn't want to forgive him. Because he made me mad. And I just said, no, I'm not going to forgive you. And he looked at me and he said, well... I've done what God told me to do. There's nothing else I can do. And he just walked out of the room. And that made me madder. Because he was forgiven. God had forgiven him because he did what he was supposed to do, right? And I didn't forgive him. And yet I'm commanding scripture to forgive. I heard someone say once that holding a grudge against somebody, not forgiving somebody, is like drinking poison yourself and watching them and hoping they die. Because it just eats you up. It was eating me up that my, bro my brother got right with God. 
He confessed his sin to God and then he came and confessed it to me and asked me for my forgiveness and I said no. And he was free. And he walked out of the room free. No guilt, no condemnation. He'd made things right. And I'm just sitting there mad as I can be and I was mad for a long time. And I was mad that he was right with God too. Not just mad because he hit me. <laughs> Y'all, Scripture is clear. God's not going to forgive us when we don't forgive those around us. Now, I'm not talking about salvation forgiveness, okay? When you've been saved, you've been forgiven for all the sins you had ever committed and you've been forgiven for every sin that you will ever commit, forgiven in the sense of salvation. Salvation can't be taken away from you, okay? But on your daily, on a daily basis, on your life every day, you need to ask for forgiveness. First uh, John 1.9, what does that say? Y'all know that verse, come on. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse is not talking to lost people who are trying to get saved, salvation forgiveness. That verse is talking to believers saying, hey, once you get saved, you're going to sin. Ask God to forgive you and he will. But then verses like this, Jesus here does it and other scripture points out that God doesn't forgive us and get, we don't get right with God when we're not willing to forgive others. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference in the two types of forgiveness? One is salvation forgiveness is a one-time thing. It never, you can never lose your salvation. You never lose that. If I continue to sin 50 times a day until the day I die, I'm still going to heaven. Even if I don't ask God to forgive me for those things because he forgave me for that. Salvation forgiveness happened on the cross. Are you with me? But if I continue to sin like that, don't ask forgiveness, I'm not walking with God, am I? I'm not glorifying God. I'm not pleasing God. And there are consequences to those kinds of sins. I told talked to you about my brother Joe. The consequences of his sins that he committed 40 and 50 years ago, he's still living with today. He still lives with it today. He says, I don't get to see my children when I want to. I don't get to see my grandchildren when I want to because I made all these poor decisions. So this is what Jesus is talking about. Our daily lives now, we need to ask forgiveness when we sin. And if others have sinned against us, we have to forgive them too. And here's the tough part, whether they ask for it or not. We don't only forgive people when they ask for it. We're supposed to forgive them anyway. That is hard. But that's what Jesus is saying. All right. If he goes to death, so we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <clears throat> I don't know how many years I've been, I teach a class at my church. It's called the 201 class, Spiritual Maturity. And we have classes that people go through when they join our church. They have to give their testimony and that's our one-on-one class. They give their testimony. They learn about where our church came from and what we believe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then the 201 class is the one I teach, and it's called Spiritual Maturity. And we talk, I talk to them about studying the Bible, praying, giving, other things that we're supposed to do. And I had been teaching that for a couple of years, and I've been teaching in the prayer part, um, Matthew 6 here. And I don't know how long I've been teaching. I don't know if it had been months or years even. And I went back and was really studying this and literally pulling out the Greek dictionaries and stuff I showed you the other day when it said, and, uh, do not lead us into temptation. And I thought, wow. Y'all, did you know as believers we actually have the right and God, Jesus gave us the example that we can ask him at any time. Don't allow us to be tempted. I didn't. I, hadn't, I had never heard that before. I'd heard it, but I've never understood it. Let me ask you a question. What is the easiest, best way to not get drunk? Don't drink. Don't drink, right? Easiest way. What's the easiest way not to sin? Don't get tempted. 
God says in His Word, you can ask me to keep you from certain temptations. I pray that every morning when I get up. Now, are we going to be tempted? Yes. Does God allow temptation? Yes. That's all through Scripture too. But what I came to realize was, okay, I know I'm going to be tempted. God's going to allow it. With every temptation, the Scripture said, God provides a way of escape. That's great too. It's great to know. So when I sin, whose fault is it? Mine. Because God provided a way of escape for me. So if I sin, that's my... But he says right here that I can pray, keep me from temptations. Well, let's just say round numbers because it's easier for me to figure that way. Let's say I, there's 100 temptations a day and I've asked God to keep me from temptation and keeps me from 50 of them. Dude, I just, I've just conquered 50 potential sins because God kept me from them because I asked him to keep me from them. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, that was, uh, listen, obviously you're still asleep. When I realized that, that was mind-boggling to me. I'm tired of fighting sin every day. I'm tired of it. Again, I'm old. Some of these folks are older. It, it's, it, it's, a, it's a battle, isn't it? We fight sin. You guys fight sin, don't you? And fight temptation? Every day? Every day. And Jesus says right here, well, you can pray that, to, that I'll uh, pray to me to keep you from temptations. And he'll do it. I don't know which ones, but I'm sure glad when I'm praying, he's going to do it. Not all of them. He doesn't say all of them. But man, I'm glad for, and I don't realize the ones that I didn't get tempted on. But I'm just glad that, you know, because I fail, I fail, ask her. I fail way too many times. So, that was revolutional to me, to realize that Jesus, in his example to his disciples of how to pray, is to say, God, keep me from temptation today. Any, every, any and every temptation that you would do that. But also, then I pray this. But God, I know you're going to allow me to be tempted because you also say that happens in the Word. So give me the wisdom to see those temptations and show me the way of escape. Does that make sense? Guys, we need to pray that way. You need to be praying that way. Every temptation that God keeps you from is one less thing you're going to commit. One less person that you're going to offend. One less uh, penalty you're going to have to pay for messing up on something. Does that make sense? So... Pray daily. As I talked about last night, in studying God's Word, studying God's Word and prayer go hand in hand. You should just be praying all the time as you're reading and studying God's Word. As you learn something about God, thank Him for that. Thank Him for His characteristics and His, his grace and His mercy and all these things. Thank Him that He is God and He controls all things. Thank Him for all that stuff. Um, so, that's the Lord's Prayer, and that's very important um, and simple. All right, let's move on. So when when do we pray? First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen. First Thessalonians five sixteen through eighteen. Let me make sure I get that right. Yes, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So how often are we to pray? I just read it. When? Always, pray without ceasing. You know what that means? Can you actually just pray verbally all day long? Nope. Because we've got too much to do. I mean, if you're in school, I'm sure your teacher wouldn't appreciate that. Um, and, and other times and places or whatever. That means always being the attitude of prayer. Which means what? Always being in right relationship with God so that you can communicate. Because when we sin, that breaks that fellowship with God. That's what First John 1 is talking about. 
Forgive me, God, because I want to be in right fellowship with you. So we're supposed to be praying all the time. All right. So I was being an attitude of prayer. What's the attitude? Thanksgiving. And all things with thanksgiving. Any of y'all, is there ever, have you ever had a hard time thanking God for tough times? My hand's the highest. Yet we're supposed to do that. You know what a paradox is? It's not, it's not two docks down at the lake. A paradox? What is a paradox? You know, two things that don't seem to go together. Okay? In Scripture. Give me, y'all be thinking of some paradoxes in Scripture. I'll give you one as an example. To live, you must die. That's a paradox. God says, to live your life to the fullest, you have to die. That's a paradox. See any other paradoxes? Y'all know any other paradoxes in Scripture? God is just, merciful, and gracious. Okay. Any other paradoxes? Well, this one right here. In everything, give thanks. Even in the tough times. I'm supposed to be thankful for tough times. And I just ask you how many people have a hard time with that. And I think we all do. But when tough times come, God says, thank me for them. Because I'm in control and I'm going to use it to your good. What do we typically do when tough times come? Yeah, do the opposite. <laughs> you have to get more detail than that. We, we get frustrated. Sometimes we get angry at God. Anybody ever been angry at God? I have. Why? Because things didn't go the way I wanted them to. I used to tell my youth group all the time, if you're not happy about how tall you are or what color your hair is or what color your eyes are or this or this about yourself, I said, just walk outside, look up to heaven, and yell at God and say, I am not happy with you. And they would just look at me like, what are you talking about? I said, well, that's what, if you're complaining, you're complaining to him because he made you. Don't beat around the bush. Just go take it right to him. And they're like, well, I'm, I said, do you want to do that? They go, no. I said, well, that's what you're doing. Things happen that are not easy. Things happen. People die. Family members die. People get divorced. Uh, people go to prison. <laughs> uh, lots of bad things happen in life. And God says we're to be thankful for that. We're to go to him in prayer about it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Does that mean that we're always supposed to be happy? Please shake your head no. No, it's not what God's talking about. Jesus wept. He was sad. He got frustrated. He got angry and never sinned. Scripture says there's a time to laugh and a time to weep. Time to live and a time to die. God understands that. He didn't say we're supposed to always be happy, 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 happy. He didn't say that. He said, but we're supposed to be joyful and thankful. So that's part of our prayer life, okay? So pray always and pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. All right. And pray about everything. Um, Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6. says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving again thanksgiving let your request be made known to god y'all you can pray about anything and and the, one of the first things i always pray about this is this is how i start my prayer where did i put it here it is when i start my prayer time when i go to the office in the morning to have my devotional quiet time with god this is what i pray i always say God, open my eyes to see what I need to see as I'm studying this word. Open my eyes to see what I need to see. Open my ears to hear your voice. I want to hear you talk to me. Open my mind to understand as I meditate on your word. Help me to understand. Who wrote God's word? The Holy Spirit wrote it. So I'm asking him to help me to understand it. And then I say, and open my heart to love your word and everyone and everything you love.
That's what I pray. That's my personal prayer every morning as I'm studying. Open my eyes, open my ears, open my mind, and open my heart. I want to see what you want me to see. I want to hear what you want me to hear. I want to hear you speak to me. As, as you said earlier, the way that we hear from God is just that peace within us. He speaks to us. Um, open my mind. I want to understand what your word says and what you want me to live. And open my heart. I want to be passionate about doing the right things. And that's, that's the way that we need to pray and what we need to do. And then let's go. I want to go to a few verses here. Jesus would often pray. Luke 5.16. Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. And then, I'm not going to open these up, but Mark 6.46 and Matthew 14.23 say the same thing. These writers of the gospel would say that Jesus was always leaving to go pray and spend time with his father. And I always thought that amazing how much time as you read through scripture, how much time Jesus spent praying and I'm thinking, he's God. And if he needed to spend that kind of time in fellowship with his father and he was sinless, y'all, how much time do we need to be spending with him as sinful people? We need to spend a lot of time with him. Um, and then Luke 6.12. Luke 6.12 says this. It was at this time that he, Jesus, went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Any of you ever spent a whole night praying without falling asleep? Anybody? You can raise your hand this time. You have? You have? Good. I did one time. I've been to prayer things where they would, you'd pray through the night, but you, they'd, you know, you'd just sign up for an hour. I don't know if you ever done those. Okay, my prayer, I go and show up and pray from 11 to 12, and other people would come in and da-da-da-da. But um, mine was, was, there were some tough things going on in my life, and I just was crying out to God, and it was an all-night affair, all-night deal. And it was a tough time. It was a very tough time. Um, and I never felt closer to God because I realized I can't, I can't get this right. I, I can't do it. I can't figure this out. I can't make these things happen and things are, seem to be falling apart. And God, only you can. I just spent all night talking to him. And it was great, even though it was a very tough time in my life. Jesus did that often. And he was God, or he is God. Guys, we need to be spending that kind of, we need to be that passionate about prayer and about talking to God and wanting to hear what he has to say. Okay? So prayer. We need to do that. Second thing I want to talk about today is um, so one is we need to study God's word. Two is we need to be praying and praying all the time. We just talked about that. And then the second one is you need to find a good church. Third one, not second, second today, third one altogether. Find a good church and some really good godly friends to help you walk this walk, okay? Of trying to live godly in an ungodly world. Uh, when I was in high school, I went to a Christian high school. I told you all briefly, I think, maybe the first night that I, I was fortunate enough to go to a Christian high school. Um, and I did not have a lot of close friends. You would think at a Christian school, there'd be a lot of strong Christian people and, and there weren't in my class. And I didn't have a lot of close friends. My closest friends were girls who loved Jesus. There weren't a lot of guys in my class that loved Jesus. Um, the first really close 
guy friend I had from school was not until I got in college and I met a guy and just the Holy Spirit brought us together. But I never had a really, really close guy friend that loved Jesus. Um, and so for me, I got that guidance that I needed from my parents. I, I, I could talk to my parents about anything. Um, and so they were, I, I never looked at my parents as my best friends. I, I think that's, um, to me, that was, that's the way I looked at that. I respected them and I loved them and I, loved, I knew that they loved me. But, and I knew I could tell them anything. And some people would say, oh, that's like a best friend. That's fine. That's just not the terminology I would use. But I could go to my parents about anything. Um, and it didn't matter what it was. I'm struggling here. I'm struggling there. What do I do about this? What do I do about that? I'll never forget the day. I've told this story a lot of my wife has heard this. I, rem- I understood that God put my parents in authority over me and God would speak to me through my parents. That's one way that we didn't mention earlier about how does God speak to us is through your parents. Whether they're saved or not, by the way. He still uses them. He still uses them. Um, but I'll never forget the day I went to my dad about something. I said, Dad, um, here's the situation. What do you think? And he looked at me and he said, you're old enough to pray about that and make that decision on your own. I hated that day. Most young people can't wait for that day <laughs> to get out from under their parents' authority. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going, to, dude. When you when that happens for y'all who aren't there yet, when that happens, it could be the worst day of your life. Because now God's holding you accountable for every decision you make. You answer to God. A lot easier to answer to your parents. I'm just. I'm here to tell you. You may not think so. <laughs> you might not agree with me, but I'm here to tell you that day and that day that my dad said to me, "You are old enough." You are mature enough. You pray about that and make those decisions on your own now. I hated that day because it was easy before that because I just go to my parents. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? We'd talk about it, discuss it, and I could take their advice and knew that God was speaking to me. Um, but find good friends. Find friends that will challenge you to live a godly life. If you're hanging around with people that aren't challenging you to live a godly life, in fact, they're challenging you and testing you to do things that don't please your mom and dad and you know don't glorify God, you don't need to hang around them. You need to love them. Maybe you need to help point them. But when I'm talking about good friends, best friends, I'm talking about the people that you spend quality and quantity time with, all right? These are the people that you need to help you walk with God. You need to find that. And you need to get away from people that aren't doing that. Again, as believers, we're to love the world and we need to point people to Christ. I'm not saying, you know, be in the world but not of the world. I'm not saying you reject everybody who's not a believer or they don't, maybe they're a believer and they're not living the right way. I'm not saying you forget them and, oh, there's hard. No, you got to love them and help point them to Christ. But you need to have, you need to find people in your life that are going to help you walk with God and help challenge you. Three years ago, um, Guy, my church, good guy. We were fairly close. We were, at, we're in a small group together, you know, with other couples and people. And and you know, I would, I considered him my friend, not my best friend by any means, but I considered him my friend. And um, he has some kids to go to the school where my kids go, and they play basketball. One of his kids plays basketball, and some of my boys play basketball. And so we were at many basketball games together. And um, I, one of my, 
faults, and one of the things that I pray for every morning, God, kill my pride today. Because I used to referee basketball. I called high school basketball for years and years and years and years, and I think that I'm the best referee that's ever existed. So when I go to a basketball game and referees aren't doing as good a job as I think, I would let them know. And I was very vocal. And um, this friend, who is now probably, he's one of my best friends, during a, a particular during a game, I'm dude, I'm getting on the refs. And he was sitting in a row in front of me. There's a place where they don't have bleachers, it's just seats. He got up and he came and sat next to me and put his arm around me and just leaned in and said, you're losing your testimony. Doesn't matter every time I tell that story, it always breaks me up. I am his elder in his church. I'm one of his pastors. And he had the guts to come tell me that. He's probably my best friend now. Because he had the guts to tell me, you're not pleasing God. Do you have friends in your life like that? Do any of y'all have that? That's what you need. Someone who has the guts to come tell you when you're doing it wrong. I'm not proud of that, obviously. Brings me to tears. Um, I used to think it was funny that I would get on referees and get upset and get mad until someone had the guts to say, that ain't right. That's not right. So I'm telling you, you need to find friends like that. And if you don't have friends like that, you need to pray that God will bring something like that into your life. Look for somebody that will challenge you. Look for somebody that will hold you accountable. Um, that's where I want to that's, that's the end of my notes um, when, you're, when the speaker breaks up and cries like this always makes people uncomfortable I'll laugh about this later but I made you uncomfortable but I hope it gets your attention that wasn't an act I'll, I'll start getting my voice back and everything. Um, that wasn't an act. Um, married for 35 years. Got 11 children, 10 grandchildren, four in-laws, daughter and son-in-laws. Pastor and elder in a church. And I'm acting like a turd at a basketball game. And it wasn't pleasing God. And that was my pride. That was pride. And this friend, and by, and by the way, it's about three years ago that he brought that to my attention. And I've been different at ball games now. Still get frustrated, I just don't let it, <laughs> I, I don't let it out. Um, but y'all, there were many years before he came to me 
that I was doing the same thing and being a bad example. Find those friends now. Find those people in your life now that will help you live a life that pleases God. You need to find a friend that loves you enough that will say to you when you're doing things that aren't pleasing God and aren't glorifying God and it's not helping you walk in the Spirit, that they'll challenge you and call you out on it. That's what I'm talking about. I didn't have that. My, my parents did that when I was at home. My parents did that. And that's what I meant by I could talk to them about everything. I trust them. They, and I'll never forget the day in, my, in our little turnaround driveway that my dad came and put his arm around me and said, man, you can be cocky sometimes. And I was just like, I mean, it floored me because that was a man I know loved me more than anybody else loved me. Yet he was willing to say, and I, what do you mean? And he just would give me examples of, an, of attitudes or whatever. And then when I moved out of the house and I got married, I was supposed to be the spiritual leader and everything in the house, and, and I didn't have that. So I encourage you to do that. What were we going to say, Dad? I was going to say, you said seek out friends like that. Sometimes we need to be a friend like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're around, we're around kids that, you know, that call themselves Christians, and sometimes they need a little guidance that yes. we can give it to. So. Yeah. We, uh, definitely. And, and I want to just, and I, it's in my notes too, that yeah, some of y'all may not have that. May not have those friends right now. Maybe, maybe you've got parents that aren't believers and they can't hold you accountable in that way. God's brought you to this place for a specific reason. There's some folks right here. There's three right here. And there are others at Camp Tapawingo that are leaders here. They, whether they realize it or not, I know they do, they've been commanded by God to mentor you kids. I call you kids, you're not kids, but you know what I mean. I'm old, you're kids. They've been called to do that. I have um, campers and kids that aren't kids anymore that, are in my, that were in my youth. I was a youth pastor for 20-something years. Um, some of them married with kids still will call me or text me today and say, Mr. Jeff, what about this verse? Mr. Jeff, what about, you know, I'm in this situation. I had a kid in college one day. He used to go to camp with me. And he, he texted me and he said, hey, um, there's a Catholic guy on my dorm. And he and I've been talking. And he said, can you be a Catholic and be a Christian? And I say that to let you know that this guy moved on from camp. He was in college. But he always knew he'd come back to me and ask me those questions. He knew that I would give him a biblical answer, not just my idea on it. So I texted him real quick and I said, well, here's my answer. I can't give you the whole answer in the text. <laughs> but bottom line, here's the bottom line. And then call me when you get a chance and I can give you more detail and I can give you scripture and I can give you all this stuff. <clears throat> it's something I actually knew a whole lot about because my dad was raised Catholic. So I'm, I know a lot about the Catholic faith and a lot of things they believe and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I have people that text me and call me all the time like that. Y'all need to find somebody like that too. I'm going to tell you something. Most of you at your age, there's only a couple of college kids in here, I think. You don't have friends mature enough to answer most of your questions. You're not mature enough to answer most of your friends' questions. You need to find people who are seasoned. That means older. That have been Christians longer, who have studied God's words longer, that can give you answers. Okay? Know how to find answers. People ask me stuff all the time. Natalie asked me a question last night and I said... Mm, I need to study that tonight because I don't have the answer for that. 
but I will. And my wife and I went back last night and we started looking stuff up and I got some answers for you. Some things that you can do. Um, nobody knows everything. But these folks here at Tap and Go love y'all and they care about y'all and they're here to help you, okay? So make sure that you, that you use that resource. Make sure that you use them to help you be what God wants you to be. Get in God's Word and study it. Talk to Him. Go to a good church that preaches God's Word and hang around folks and make close friends with people who know Jesus and love Jesus and will hold you accountable. Okay? I'm done, Paul. <laughs>